in the Word of God. The scripture passage for tonight is the text for the message. We have it in the 16th chapter of the Judges and the 17th verse. That he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hast not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then shall my strength go from me, and I shall become weak and be just like any other man, any other man. For some, a statement like that might be an expression of an exalted dream. For some youngsters growing up and having as a hero some athletic star, to dream to be like that individual might be a very worthy kind of dream and a very happy kind of a statement. But in the case of Samson, it is an expression of tragedy. The 16th chapter of this awesome book of the Judges, this book that reads like a roller coaster rides, there is the up and down, the spiritual highs and lows of the children of Israel eloquently described. We find for a little while they do pretty good when they follow the Lord. And then, as a recurring theme, we read over and over and over again, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they were plunged into dark, dark valleys of sinfulness. Samson was a judge of his people. He was a ruler. We're told that he ruled for 20 years, that he led his people for two decades. There was a great deal to admire about this man. There is a great deal to disgust us about this man. For as we are introduced to him, we find him going into a brothel. And his enemies, knowing him in all likelihood to be weak coming out of the brothel, said, this is the time we'll take him. And so the troops were set out and they waited for him. And when he left the brothel, he did not just gingerly opened the door and walked through it, he just literally took the doors off the hinges and stuck one under one arm and another under another arm and singing to the top of his voice, went his merry way. And the Philistines who had come to capture him stood back in awe at the power, the physical power of that man. Samson the strong man, 
Samson with the strength of giants. Samson who had so much that was right. But the Philistines were out for him. The Philistines wanted him, wanted him dead. And so they decided that they would uh, get next to one whom Samson loved, Delilah. And they got with Delilah and said, and I don't know how many of them there happened to be, but they said, Delilah, you're one of us. You're not really his kind. And you ought to work with us and help us discover the secret of his power. And we can discover the secret of his power and we can bring him down. Then you will have done something great for your people. And if you'll do that, all of us who are here, all of the Philistine leaders who had met with Delilah, that every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, I can well imagine that was not 1,100 dimes. <laughs> there was a lot of money involved in the destruction of her man. And so she went to Samson and sweetly and cunningly enticingly she said Sam you're so strong oh you just excite me Sam Sam how come you're so strong he with a twinkle in his eye said well that you know said if you would just bind me with with green twigs off a bush, just perfectly green. He said, I'd, I wouldn't have a bit of power, that I'd just be weak as a kitten. Is that right? Well, well. So when he went off to sleep that night, she got together some of those green long twigs and put them about, and then she called the Philistines who were outside the tent and said, come on, said he hadn't got any power, said take him now. And he was there with his eyes just half closed, and as soon as that took place, he just popped those old green whips and scattered those Philistines, and she started crying. Oh, you lied to me. You told me what, what kept you from being strong, said you were just lying to me. He said, well, said, I'm not going to lie to you anymore. Said, I, I really tell you what the secret is. Said, if you'll just take some brand new rope, rope that has never, ever been used for anything else. If you'll just take some brand new rope and just lightly bind me in that, that I haven't got a bit of power. Is that right? So off he pretended to go to sleep, and she got some brand new rope, and she laid about. She called the Philistines. She says, come on. Says, he's asleep now, and the brand new rope, and that's all around him there. You can get him now. And just as soon as they come in to get him, old Sam rose up big and popped those ropes off and laughed in their face and kicked them off. And there was old Delilah again. You're making a fool out of me. 
I thought you loved me. Imagine that. He is a fool. He said, well, he said, I'm not going to lie to you anymore. He said, really and truly, the thing about it is that if you just sort of weave seven little locks for my head, just not much, just a little bit, seven little locks of hair for my head, why, then that would, uh, that'll just do it. Is that right? Yeah, I'm telling you the truth this time. So when he pretended to be asleep, seven little tiny snippets and laid about in just a certain way, and she called the Philistines. She said, he's not lying to me this time. Says, you can cake him this time. In they came, and out he came and kicked him again. And she was just fit to be tied. She said, I thought you loved me three times you've lied to me. And you know, there's an interesting passage of Scripture over here that says just about, the, I believe it's the 15th verse, uh, 16th verse. She said to him, How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times. Thou told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass that when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, that his soul was vexed to death. In other words, she was just nagging the life out of him. She literally, that's a literal McIntyre translation. She is nagging him to death. And somewhere along the way, his good sense left him. And he said, all right, I'll tell you. I'm a Nazarite. And there are several things that those who are consecrated to God under the Nazarite vow from their mother's womb, there are several things that we either do or do not do. We do not drink wine, and we do not ever cut our hair. Our strength, my strength, is in my keeping of the Nazarite vow unto God. That truly is where my strength happens to be. And her eyes twinkled. And she realized somehow in the tone of his voice that he had told her at last the truth. And so when he was asleep, she called a man and said, shave his head. And his head was shaved. And when the Philistines then poked him to bind him and to take him, he lunged at them as though he was still the Samson of old. But he was not. For indeed, his strength had left him. And he became just like any other man. And the Philistines took him. This man who had been a judge for all these years in Israel, this man who had in so many good ways had taken a stand for God and for right, this man was now taken to be sport of the Philistines. And the first thing that they did when he became just like any other man was that cruel hands beat his face and cruel fingers gouged each eye out of the socket. And he was blind. And they took him to where the dumb beast 
We're hitched to the grinding cycle. And they just put him alongside the oxen. And like some dumb animal, blind, he worked the grain. The Philistines decided they ought to have a party. It was a time to celebrate. Why, their god Dagon had been victorious. Dagon had proved himself to be stronger than Jehovah. And so it was a time to celebrate. And so several thousand of the Philistines gathered into a great hall. And then above the hall, upon the, the roof of the building, for the, the buildings in that part of the world today, for, for most part, are still built in the same way with enormous flat roofs, no peaked roofs, but flat roofs and built strong enough so folks get up there. And that's what happened. And there were several thousand folks up there. They said, bring us old Samson. Let's make sport with old Samson, old blind Samson, who proved to us that our God Dagon is more powerful than his puny little God Jehovah. Go get him. And so they went over and they got him. A little boy led him, blind. This man who had been a giant, this man whose very strength had become somehow or other the, the legend, almost a myth among the people. During this time when they treated him like an animal, during this time when he was like an oxen going, his hair started to grow back. And he felt that in the growth of his hair, once again, the strength that had been his as a Nazarite was returning to him. They brought him in. They played with him. They pushed him around. Poor blind old Samson, this enemy, this judge of the enemy people. Look at him, how powerful once he had been. Now look at him, pitiful animal of a creature. And they pushed him and they shoved him and they kicked him and they spit in his face and probably someone said tell us who's hitting you tell us who's kicking you and they shoved and they kicked and they pushed him about that's what it means when the scripture says they made sport of him and they laughed praising their god Dagon at last they got tired of it and the little fellow who had led Samson by the hand was there to try to lead him back. Samson said to the little fellow, let me, let me lean against the pillars that hold up the roof where the folks are. I need to, I need to rest a bit. And the little fellow took him. I imagine old blind Samson with those fingers that had become his eyes, began to grope and to feel the width and size of those pillars that held up the roof where a couple of thousand folks were up celebrating. And old Samson, once a judge of the people, old Samson, once the legend, old Samson stood there between these two pillars and he felt them 
I think literally his fingers must have caressed them. And he prayed, oh God, just once again. God, just once more, let me have my strength. Just once more. And the strength of God returned to those arms. And he began to push and push. In the midst of all of the laughter and the gaiety and the praise to the God Dagon that was going on up above him, he could tense and sense and feel those columns beginning to give. And he bowed and he gave a tremendous lunge and the columns went out and the roof came in and those thousands were killed and he himself died in the midst of all of it. A tragic man. Just like any other man. Now, I believe that happened. I don't have any quarrel with it. Samson was a man who lived just like that. He did just exactly that. And I don't believe for one moment that God gave us that story in the 16th chapter of the book of Judges just to amuse us or to entertain us. I think God included it in his book. And that rather tragic statement, like just like any other man, so that some folks in Nashville in 1978 might learn some spiritual lessons from the throne of God. Now, what are the lessons? What applies to us? How is it that we can appropriate the events in the life of a man called Samson and apply it to our own lives? I think these are the lessons that the source of the strength that came to Samson that that was in Samson was God himself. How do I translate that into my life and into yours? It's this, that the only source of strength that we have is Jesus Christ. We have no strength outside of Jesus. What powers do you now have in Christ? What are you now as a Christian that you were not before you became a Christian? What abilities, what talents, what gifts? It all was in the realm of possibility only before you became a Christian, before I became a Christian. But in Christ, your strength and mine is actualized. It is realized. It is brought to a point to where the strength that is available to us in Christ Jesus suddenly begins to course through our bodies so that there is in each one of us a wellspring of strength, not natural or not native, but a wellspring of strength that comes directly from the throne of God himself. If you don't live any differently from the way you lived before you became a Christian, you need to examine what you thought was a Christian experience. 
for something magnificent happens when we become a Christian. All the power of God flows into us. Christ in me, I in Christ. That's not a sissy, mamby-pamby, go-on-life-as-usual, business-as-usual kind of a thing. To be a Christian means something happens. To be a Christian means there is power that we did not have before. To be a Christian means there is insight not possible before. To be a Christian means that we are not like just any other man. To be a Christian means that there is a difference. And I say it as one who would be a spiritual friend to you if there is no difference in your life from those with whom you work who are not Christians. Examine what you call your Christianity. The Philistines desired the downfall of Samson. The Philistines loom before us as a gigantic symbol of all that's sinful and wrong. They opposed Samson's strength. We ought to oppose sin. We ought to be good for something in this world. Not simply passive, not simply flowing along, pushed about by this wave, that wave, this current, that current, life's pattern changed by this influence or that. But as Christians, there ought to be in our lives a sufficient strength from God Himself that we are good for something, positively good for something. I think I shared with you a number of weeks ago a little clipping that I found when I was a boy, and I've kept it. All these years, it goes like this. When I met him, I was looking down. When I left him, I was looking up. And as a boy, I read that and I cut it out and I pasted it in the flyleaf of an early Bible. And I've read it again and again across these years with a silent prayer. God, help me to live like that to live in Christ in such a way so that people meeting me disappointed and dejected and downtrodden can find something of you, Lord, in my life and can leave looking up. Now, I think that's the privilege and the joy of service for all of us who are Christians. That we can be positively good, that we can make a difference, that we can be lights, not hidden under a bushel, but on the candle stand, on the edge of the mountain rim, lighting up the darkness. If you have never brought light to anyone's darkness, if you have never brought comfort to anyone's grief, If you have never stopped long enough to reach down a hand and pick up someone who has fallen, your Christianity is different from that which I read in the Bible. 
the Philistines wanted to destroy Samson. They did at last. And they used his wife. The old devil will always use the ones who are nearest to us and closest to us to get at us, to dig at us, to weaken us. I really think that's the, the only way I can come to an understanding of what Jesus was talking about when he said those very strange words, you need to hate your mother and your father. You need to hate your husband or your wife. You need to hate your children or your parents. And I listen to Jesus say that, and I say, Master, that doesn't sound like you. I don't really understand what you're talking about. And Jesus goes on to say, If you love your wife more than you love me, If you love your husband more than you love me, if you love your kids more than you love me, if you love anybody or anything more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. I think the story of Samson and Delilah gives us a key to what Jesus was talking about. Are we to love one another? Of course. That's what the whole Bible is about. But Jesus was talking about where our first love goes. And while we read it and we see some of the comic aspects about this conversation between Delilah and Samson where she constantly is digging away to the source of his strength, where finally he just can't take the nagging anymore and he gives in. But in the giving in, in the sharing of that secret of his strength to the one who was closest to him, humanly speaking, he brought dishonor to his God. Young people, listen to me. It's very important who you date. You won't fall in love and want to get married with folks you don't date, that you don't go out with. It's not just old fogey talk that as a Christian boy, as a Christian girl, as a Christian young man, as a Christian young woman, you need to date other Christians young people because you see the devil the devil is after us every second of the day now the devil doesn't care a thing about you or me all the devil wants to do is cheat God and he'll use us to do it and when we date and fall in love with those who do not share the faith, then along the way, our lives will become so watered down and so bland that we really will not take a stand for Jesus. 
and that's tragic. What were the results of Samson becoming just like any other man? What happened because of that? Well, his strength went from him. And you know, he thought he was still strong until that time of supreme testing came. That was one of the added tragedies. He did not know, though he had shared the secret of his strength, he did not know that the hair was gone. And so when the testing time came for him to exhibit his strength, and he flexed his muscles and said, Ha ha, ah, they're at it again, I'll show them again. He found to his horror and his sorrow that he had no strength. What happened because he became just like any other man? He was blinded. He became dependent upon others. The little lad had to lead him around. Second-hand religion's always the poorest kind of religion going. You'll never get to heaven on your mama's faith. You'll never amount to much on your daddy's stability. You'll never amount to much because grandpa was a preacher of the gospel. If your religion is the second-hand sort, then when the testing time comes and you try to flex your spiritual muscles, you'll discover you don't have any. Second-hand religions, terrible stuff. That, by the way, is one of the reasons that as New Testament Christians, as Baptists, we have stayed true to the Word of God in this matter of the baptism of babies. There's nobody in all the whole wide world that loves babies any more than Baptists. But we don't believe in secondhand or proxy religion. Mamas and daddies need to be dedicated to the Lord. Little fellows need to be prayed over and given to the Lord. But the only candidate for baptism is an individual who has a first-hand experience with Jesus. And if you've ever wondered why we Baptists just baptize folks who've come to trust Christ, that's the reason. Because second-hand religion's not good enough. But the most terrible aspect of all of the fallout and this story of Samson was that this man who once in his life had been a glory to God became the occasion for the enemies of God to glory. The Philistines worshiping their false god Dagon said as they looked at old Samson, look, Look at him. This old guy said that Jehovah was stronger than Dagon. Look at old Samson. His strength is gone and he's blind. And he's like an old dumb animal out there grinding at the grain. Look at him. Laugh at him. And they laughed at him and they spit on him. 
And they were laughing at God and they were spitting at God while they were doing it. If we live just like any other man, if we do not live a level of life that is superior to those who are not Christians, if we make our decisions in the workaday world, at home, at office, if we make our decisions just as though we had never heard about Christ, just like any other man, then it is we cause the world to laugh at God. And that's the greatest tragedy of all. When by the way I live or the way you live, we cause an old sinful, callous world to say, <laughs> he calls himself a Christian. Look at him. She says she's a Christian. Listen to her. And sometimes these long and gossipy tongues and sometimes these hands that work ill in the lives of others and sometimes the maliciousness and the pettiness and the cheapness of our lives that give a blatant evidence that we are living just like any other person on the face of the earth brings disgrace to the name of Jesus. And that's tragic. So what should we learn? out of the whole story, out of the whole experience. How can we apply it then to our lives? Sin will rob us of our Christian strength. If there is that habit in your life that you know God is not pleased with, and you yourself not pleased with, but you keep on with it and you keep on at it, just remember this, you can put it down, you can write it down, and you can sign your name after it, and you can put God's name right there with it, that sin encouraged in your life will rob you of your spiritual strength. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't ride two horses going in opposite directions at the same time. And sin unconfessed, and sin nourished in your bosom will weaken you. And if you don't do something about it pretty soon, in a trying and taxing moment when you need all of the spiritual strength that you can muster, you'll discover to your horror that because of that spiritual sin in your life that you've nurtured and kept, you're drained of spiritual vitality. To be strong, to be strong in Christ, there are certain things that we must do. We must learn how to pray and make it as easy and as secondary and as normal in our lives as breathing. Breathe in to breathe out. The heart beats. The routines and the normals of life that we take for granted and seldom think much about. So our prayer life ought to take on that same kind of regularity. I do some of my best praying when I'm driving an automobile. I don't bow my head and close my eyes. That'd be a little stupid. But I discovered a long time ago that my conversation with Jesus didn't depend on a bowed head and closed eyes. And having to be in my automobile a lot the last number of years, I found that that automobile has become a place 
where Jesus and I have had some good times together. Prayer. Spiritual strength and spiritual vitality come out of that known relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. It isn't the relationship that can exist when you wind Jesus up and bring him out of a Sunday school room and talk to him for a few minutes and put him back in the closet and go your way until next week. But as normal as breathing itself. To know the Word of God and to read it and to study it. To have a planned method whereby you can understand what God's talking about in it. To pick it up in the odd moments of your life. You ought to keep a small New Testament always handy in your pocket or your ladies in your pocketbook. And it's absolutely amazing how many what I call small change times that we have that we can read a verse or two or five or ten or maybe a chapter and how God will speak to us. We're, we're waiting on somebody in an appointment. We're, we're over somewhere at, at a store and we have a few minutes waiting on somebody. The moments that instead of just gawking around, that we spend just a few moments in the Word of God, we discover that our spiritual vitality is recharged. Fellowship such as this, what a joy and a delight for me to sort of stand back and to see the way you love each other and the fellowship and the good times, the joy of seeing each other and being with each other. Don't you wish everybody in Nashville had the joy of experience as you experience? I do. I do. And that contributes to the matter of our spiritual strength. And so it is then that as Christians, we are not like, we are not supposed to be like any other man. As Christians, you ought to live different from your, Christ, from your neighbor who's not a Christian. As a Christian, you ought to live differently from that fellow in the office who's not a Christian. As a Christian, with the evidence of your Christian strength that comes from the throne of God to live in such a way that your life is markedly different in the supernatural strength that is ours in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I have come to be with you that you might have life and that you might have that life more abundantly. Strength in him I can do all things through him who strengtheneth me. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Would you draw a mental circle where just you and Jesus stand face to face? Are you somebody for the Lord? Or are you just like any other man or woman? Do you want to be somebody 
for Jesus? You can be. Strong in the Lord. Living for Him. Giving glory to Him. And if you ask for strength, He'll grant it. If you ask for direction, He'll point the way. If you ask to be strong, He'll grant you from His strength. But it depends on what you want and what you ask for. Dear Father, give us a holy discontent with the kind of Christian lives we're living. Give us a fresh glimpse, dear Father, of what we can be in Christ, of how tall, how big, how strong we can be. Dear God, help us to learn from this man who was so very strong but who let sin destroy his life. Help us to learn the lesson and not let sin destroy our lives. But let us be strong for the glory of Jesus, Father. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Our hymn is 349. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. What is his way in your life? Do you have any idea? What does he want you to do? What paths has he marked for you to walk that you have not walked yet? What is his way for you? Well, I don't know. But I know if you want to know, he'll tell you. And if you'll surrender your life to him if you'll accept him as the only one who can give you strength for the living of life and point you in the right direction and you'll take your stand with the master you'll go your way with a song in your heart you need to come and bring your church membership take your stand for the lord draw strength and give strength this is your opportunity and it's your time to come the staff will be here to welcome you and folks to pray with you. Whatever you need to do in the Lord, do it now as we stand and sing together. All right. <laughs>